Good morning, everybody. We are steering towards the end of the year and an apt time to talk about stuff that we don't normally talk about. Uh, I can't wait to introduce our guests to you. This is Jean Roof from the podcast Mind Warp, uh, together with my co-host MP Stradom. Good morning, MP. Good morning, Jean. Yes, as you as you truly said, it's it's nearing the end of 2021. Can you believe it? And uh, we're looking forward to going into a bit of a Christmas break period here in the Southern Hemisphere. Of course, uh, summer holidays for us is uh, has arrived uh, or is arriving. We're looking forward to that, but lots of interesting chats to have before we go away. Summer holiday for us, uh, our northern colleagues uh, sitting across the globe on, on all the sides have a short break whilst we have a long break. Let's introduce our guests to you. Uh, two people we've met in the industry uh, from a company called Lead for Flow. Very apt and very interesting name from uh, Ari van Niekerk and uh, Kali Roos. Good morning, Ari and Kali. Good morning, John and MP, and thanks for the opportunity to have this conversation. We're looking forward to this. Yeah, good morning, uh, both of you, and uh, it's an honor to be invited and have this conversation. Thanks. Before we talk about Lead for Flow, a very apt name, Ari, let's talk about you. Uh, who is Ari? What does Ari know? Where is he worked? A short introduction uh, and steer us into what your contribution is to Lead for Flow. Just a little bit about myself. I'm a metallurgical engineer by training. Uh, at some part in my life, I was a welding specialist. Wow. I, I was a senior manager in the research and development division of ISCOR, the, the, the company before Exaro and Kumba. And now uh, ArcelorMittal probably. And, and ArcelorMittal, the company split up. But in those days, it was an integrated steel and mine, steel manufacturing and mining company. Yes. And the, the research that we did there was phenomenal stuff, yeah. covered a very wide range. I also became a factory manager for five years, a factory manufacturing refractory bricks and mortars. And that's where we implemented theory of constraints the first time as a full implementation. Uh-huh. Turned the company around from serious cash flow losses to cash flow positive, making good money. And that experience changed my life. Wow. And at the end of that part of my journey, I joined the International Goldrat community. I had the opportunity of meeting Eli Goldrat many times, and I was trained by him and some other, other facilitators within that uh, group. So I was well trained in theory of constraints. And when I joined them, it just happened that I started working in the mining industry. My first work was for Tabazimbi Iron Ore Mine and then Grotegele Coal Mine, Sishan Iron Ore Mine. And since then, for the last two decades, I've been specializing in implementing theory of constraints in the mining industry. So that's that's a short picture of who I am, and this is where I am in my journey. And it's and I must say it was very exciting. It was a really wow. exciting journey. Just before we jump in with Kali. You said you, you were a welding specialist, and it, it reminds me of something that my dad always used to say. He said, if you're not good as a welder, you'd better be good with a grinder. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so maybe that's uh, that's my theory of constraints <laughs> because I'm certainly constrained when it comes to, to welding. <laughs> oh, thank you for for making that remark. MP welding is a is a fascinating discipline, and um, we spent a lot of time working on, especially fatigue failures of heavy mining equipment. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And, and that was that was fascinating. Very interesting. MP will find out later if uh, their theory needs grinding or, uh, you know, proper welding. Yeah. Uh, Kali Ruiz, welcome. Tell us about your background and steer us into uh, lead for flow, which is a really interesting combination. Yes, thank you, John. Um, well, I think a good start is to say that I'm neither a, a good welder or, <laughs> or grinder. <laughs> grinder. Um, but my life, uh, I had two tours, two separate journeys. The, the first one was that of serving in the, in the Department of Defense. And I, I retired from that just over 20 years ago in a position where I was a senior staff officer at Defense Headquarters. I think the highlight of that tour was the latter part where I was in a position to co-facilitate, you know, the transformation process in the department, uh, external consultants being Deloitte and Tush, and it was seven defense forces coming into one from the old to the new. Wow. And that whole dynamic of how do we transform, how do we redesign, how do we restructure? And then on top of that came the role of leadership and uh, you know the business practices and the organizational culture we want, the values, the codes of conduct, and. Uh, I was given that task uh, or part of it and uh, very much so the task of culture and 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 the you know the change in people's uh, behaviors and what I didn't realize at that stage is that it was actually preparing me for the second phase or the second tour of my life wow. um, intuitively I knew I was you know going to leave the department at one or other stage um, and when it came uh, then sooner than later I was so aware of the importance of process in facilitation and how process often becomes the lifesaver. And I was very much aware of the importance of leadership. Wow. I think the one great learning point or turning point almost for me was, you know, I made all these uh, presentations, sometimes 50 pages uh, documents on culture and values and everything was accepted and every, everybody was fine with it. But when it came to implementation, it didn't always happen the way we wanted it to be. And the assumption that we made, I made, was that, you know, the leadership is always fine. They're on top of all of this and they will get the job done. And I learned that is not always true because behind any of those individuals, including myself, is a particular mental model, a mental frame, a belief system, a way of thinking. And until that shift everything else is difficult to do. Uh, even teaching people uh, new skills is tough to do. But to cut a long story short, I then left the department and I set up a business that I'm in currently. And uh, it basically started, you know, just to focus on leadership, initially more training, later on more facilitation, business practices, uh, team interventions, uh, some of it really good. And uh, it was in that journey, also in mining, most of it, it was in that journey that I learned other stuff uh, critical to, you know, my or our advancement, 
But then I also met up with Ari, and uh, he was in the optimized flow model space, and I was, you know, supporting that in terms of the leadership needed for that to happen, because it's really transformational, if you think of it. And we started to work together more and more going forward. And that's what I've been doing for the last uh, 20 odd years, is just uh, facilitating change, growing businesses for growth, and uh, one big adventure going forward. I want to jump in and ask you a quick question before we ask you to tell us more about Lead for Flow. And that is to you, Kali. I've often heard senior management use the uh, the term, the saying, whatever, change the people or change the people. So in 30 seconds or less, is it really possible to change the people, to change organizational culture? I think it is. My first assignment was um, working with a colleague of mine. He was very good, top of class. And we did the best training interventions, I think, in the mining industry then. Hugely accredited. Uh, we did the work in gold fields and we tick all the boxes. It was always five out of five. But intuitively, I thought we didn't got to the bottom line of the business, uh, the revenue and uh, the sustained uh, behavioral change. Uh, in those processes. And I knew there was a missing link. And um, this is maybe a long story, but I'll try to keep it very short. So later on, I moved into another opportunity, which was that of Mpuneng Mine, uh, Anglo Gold Ashanti operation. And um, I, you know, the approach of the general manager, then Johan Fulun and myself, we started to follow a totally different approach. It was more through the process of facilitating what we want that we got what we wanted. In that process, you know, starting from the top, I learned that until you shift, and here's the secret, until you shift the mental frames, the underlying yeah. belief system, then anything else you try to do is most probably set up to fail. What yeah. I mean is <clears throat> if, 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 I'm a, if I'm a, for example, let's say I'm the, the FD of a company and I'm very much focused on cost saving. I'm very much driven by scarcity uh, as a as a belief. I, I get rewarded for that. I was appointed for that. It's one of my KPIs. But the facilitator comes along and said, but let's apply the principle of abundance. Let's spend money in order to make money. And it's impossible for that individual to change behavior simply because of that mental frame. Yeah. So I then made it my business to change and shift mental frames more than anything else. If the frame shifts, then you can train. Then you can then change you can the behavior. Then, then, you, then everything makes sense because you put a reason behind it. You put motivation yeah. behind it. So uh, it's a bit of a long answer now, but <laughs> I, I learned the hard way that there is a way out. Yeah. And uh, I, I think this is what we miss most of the time in our processes of, uh, you know, change and transformation and getting the behavior to change. So I will never give up, give up my belief that it's possible, but you have to be very creative in how you do it. Very interesting. Very interesting. something about that a little bit later if needed. Ari, take us through the conglomeration of two points of view uh, into a new organization called Lead for Flow. And I think at this point, the audience are starting to put it together. So what is the nature of what Lead for Flow does and how does 
the two of your backgrounds uh, point the direction for Lead for Flow? This is actually a very interesting part of our journey together. From my side, I bring the concepts of flow, which is embedded in the theory of constraints. And we learned that in order to improve a business, you have to look at the flow of the system as a whole. So it's about this integrated approach. And it's the flow of product and the flow of money that really makes the business profitable. It's not about just the performance of individual components of the business, but it's about the holistic flow of the system. And this is what we do from a more technical or configuration or mental frame point of view. But then between myself and Kali, we learned very quickly that if the leadership does not embrace this and make it part of the heart of the business and the way we do things, it simply won't work. We can do all the technical components perfectly, but if the leadership is not on board and driving this process through the people, it will ultimately fail. So we learned that the combination of good leadership and leadership attention and then the attention on flow, that makes the work that we do very successful. And that's where the name Lead for Flow originated. We developed this name and the logos and everything after some serious thinking. But this was the culmination of many years of working together and working with this kind of approach. I remember many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago or so, I was uh, in a project meeting with, with Goldfields and we were discussing a project plan. And, and the senior manager there looked at, uh, at this plan and he said, this, is, this looks like a very detailed plan, but show me the critical path. Show me the, the individual things that mm-hmm. unless we do them on time, everything else will fail. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was my first introduction to, to some kind of theory of constraint. So why don't you give us a, maybe a bit of a, a, a definitional overview? You know, what is this thing called the theory of constraints? Theory of constraints embraces several disciplines, mostly in operations or production but also how we uh, use it in project management and also logistical chain management. So it's a wide subject, but let me try and be as concise as I can. The theory of constraints is a new business management framework. And I know that's a loaded statement, but it's a business framework where we look at the business as a whole. It's a holistic approach And it's mostly applicable to the more complex type of environments. If it's a very simple environment, it's not really worth it to apply the theory of constraints. But the more complex our organizations are, the more applicable it is, I think. And when we look at a complex business, then one of the questions that will surface very quickly is what is the potential of this business? And how do we determine the potential? Mm. And then the realization comes, there are some limiting factors because no business can make infinite amounts of money. We cannot produce in infinite quantities. So something limits it. And those become the limiting factors. Or if I then use the theory of constraints terms, those become the constraints of the business. And then with this philosophy, those constraints become the key focal points 
because if we can lift the performance of the constraint, then by default, the whole system will lift. So theory of constraints is, is not so much a process of de-bottlenecking. It's more about making the bottlenecks perform better. And typically we see 20 to 30% improvement sure. when, we, when we apply this in a dedicated manner. And I will not blame you if you don't believe me, but these are the kinds of improvements that we see. So when we look at a business and we look for the limiting factors, there are different types of limiting factors. The first and obvious are the physical constraints, and those ones we call bottlenecks, right. like resources or processes that limits the performance of the whole business. Sometimes even more important, they can be limiting beliefs or, or limiting mental mm. frames. Similar uh, to what Ali just talked to us about. Exactly. And yeah. From our experience, in most cases, it's a combination of the two. There are mental frames on how we manage a business. And the most popular one, for instance, is the old uh, Taylorism approach where we fragment the whole business and we try to optimize every link or every component. Yeah. And then we hope when, when every component is doing well, the system will do very well. But it doesn't. Uh, if you look at the whole systems approach, it simply doesn't. So we need a holistic approach. And this is where the holistic thinking and the holistic leadership approach and the holistic approach on the physical configuration needs to be done in parallel or in combination. And then it becomes a very powerful uh, solution for a business. I want to ask a critical question, and that is um, <clears throat> in today's business environment, at least from a from a technology perspective, um, everything is is object orient, oriented. We look at at unique elements of a business or of a solution or of a system, and we want to plug those things out and plug them in. We talk about micro themes and you know optimized components, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Has this new approach? I mean, even even if you look at your cell phone, there are apps on the cell phone, and they work together but independently. Mm -hmm. uh, has this new approach to, to these kind of independent solutions not overridden the theory of constraints? Is the theory of constraints still valid given where technology has taken us to? Oh, that's a very deep philosophical question. <laughs> <laughs> I think theory of constraints is more relevant today than it's ever been. Wow. Because okay. you hinted towards, if we strive to optimize everything, then we miss a crucial point, and that is the flow of ore or money or ideas mm -hmm. happens between entities, not in the entity. And it's managing this in-between where flow and leadership really starts to play a role. And I yeah. think the, the more fragmented our data and our approach becomes the worse the performance of the business. Mm, mm. Maybe you're aware of this. A few years ago, both Ernest and Young and McKinsey published very interesting reports that indicated that labor productivity in the mining industry yeah. dropped by as much as 40%. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's, that was linked to the period when the mining industry invested heavily in these modern transactional systems. 
which meant that their thinking and their management styles became even more fragmented. And I yeah. think some of the modern approaches are starting to overcome this. And I think people are starting, starting to learn. It's about the integration of all these components that brings the flow and the improvement of the business, not, not the individual aspects itself. Yeah. Wow. John, this reminds me of, of the discussion we had with Indras and Naidu earlier, yes. where he talked about the four flows in, in yes. supply chain management. Uh, so, uh, so. Uh, if our listeners are interested in learning about that, go back to our uh, episode of, uh, where we spoke with Indras and Naidu. Yes. Let's steer this discussion forward. Our time is running out. Uh, when we got introduced to one another, Ari and Kali, uh, you introduced us to the lead for flow method. And um, you have a process, you have a basis from which you work, which you call the exceptional performance foundations, mm -hmm. the leadership's role, etc. I think we will only have time to talk about uh, really the exceptional performance foundations. Could you refer us to that framework? And uh, we maybe could publish it in the show notes, Janri, uh, but then uh, we can follow up with the next podcast, really delving further into into the lead for flow method and then we would like to understand you know maybe if you can talk about it in the, in the form of a case study what are the exceptional performance foundations that uh, lead for flow uses to uh, increase performance by many percentages for companies i think the first component of that is to create the right mindset and this deals with both leadership and the operational environment wow. So we spend a lot of time coaching that, creating provocative experiences to expose people to the different approach. And once, the, once we become aware that the mindset shift is happening, then we will look at the physical configuration, where the bottlenecks are, how do we buffer it, how do we manage the buffers, how do we report, how do we bring this into what we call the daily ops room or the daily war room. Yeah. And then, and then we facilitate that process of embedding the theory of constraints and the leadership approach into the day-to-day -day operations of the business. Out of that comes the empowered execution. When people have good visibility, they really understand the concepts, the, conf the physical configuration is correct, then people are empowered to make really good decisions to maximize the performance. I don't know if Kari wants to add something to that. I think, um, you know, from my perspective, we understand that leaders are under pressure to perform now, and so is teams. But we also understand that they have less time available, not because of the complexity of the business. I don't think complexity is the real issue here. I think complexity is, is a given. But when we make it too complicated, in other words, do everything that we do and all the controls that we try to put in, you know, our involvement almost, almost in everything, trying to keep a tap on everything, that whole approach from a leadership perspective just doesn't work. You want to simplify it. Uh, if, you, if you don't do that, then you will have these very demanding and intimidating leadership styles the processes will become very rigid and linear, very fragmented in, in management. Uh, it's transactional, you know, people become victims mm. in managing it. 
the culture is driven by fear, uncertainty. We end up doing more of the same, believing that it will give us the right results. And guess what? We sit with a, you know, a layer of management, one on top of the other, where we perceive them to be disengaged, not taking yeah. up the accountability and ownership, and we can't understand why. <laughs> so what we do is very simple. We say, come on, let's build the coalition. In other words, that network of teams or people that can work together. And the real creative space is not in an entity or a function or a department. The creative mm. space between these entities. Then we embed the skill for collaboration. And believe it or not, wow. after so many years at school and uh, varsity and all the courses we did and the MBAs, we're still not good as uh, managers, leaders, applying the, the basic processes in terms of business, but also in terms of engagement. And then we want uh, people to take up that responsibility, organize themselves. Uh, I really refer to that as empowered execution. And we mm. think that is key to, to, to the success of the business. If I may, John, I know we're out of time, but ultimately, what do you want? You want leaders to, to be able to make faster, quicker decisions, almost intuitively. Yes. And that's possible. I want to believe that's possible. Yes. Uh, but not with a mindset that you ought to be in control of everything. You want to be fond of the business. You want to lead this business. And that you do by directing, pointing the direction, making your intent clear. That becomes the mandate for everybody else in the business, uh, working the principles of, of growth. I mean, those are the things that a leader want to be uh, yeah. you know, in control of. You should not have this obsession to be um, uh, in control of everything, uh, often driven by, by ego and, and fear. So uh, we change that. And then we focus on the flow of the system of the whole. And for that, we need that shared consciousness. We need more transparency, more openness. And mm. then for me, my pet subject is what does it mean to be truly empowered at that level to actually make a decision? You, you take accountability for it. Why? Because you're good at it. And it doesn't matter where you fit into this organization at that level. You wow. are damn good. You're damn good at what you're doing. Because if you're not good, I cannot deploy you metaphorically beyond enemy lines. I cannot trust you. Uh, they, that's when I have to control you. That's when I stay awake at night and I, I worry about, you know, where's my business going? But what if we can change that around? And uh, I think there's a few very basic things, you know, the, the power of intuition, the, the ability to facilitate more. That's the one key driver for a great leader today is how good a facilitator you are. And wow. then I think we should value relations more. In other words, uh, you can't do this on your own. And nobody can do that. It doesn't work like that. Kali, very interesting. I'm scared to ask you this question because I think it's a whole podcast by itself. So I'm going to ask you a question uh, which will be an introduction to a next podcast. Tell us about creation of intuition. You have a very innovative way in which you take leaders on a trip in the, in the bush to be able to, to improve their intuition. Tell us about that. You said it's the next podcast and then you asked me to tell you about it. Which one do you want? <laughs> so, so I want this, is I, a, this is a challenge I, to you. Uh, I, want I, think, to I think it's a great starting point maybe for another podcast to delve into that. But let me stimulate our listeners in saying that 
somehow we've learned that, you know, there's some underlying principles, you know, open system, for example, the ecosystem, nature, if you want. And on the planet, uh, trying to manage anything, even the, the, the COVID scenario, we sometimes miss the relevance of those principles. And I think it's those principles we want to talk about, of which, you know, intuition and what it means to be in the moment, and how do we actually stimulate that kind of uh, intelligence, you know, uh, you know, for leaders to become good at it with these interventions. And I would love to talk about it, but it's most probably a uh, next conversation. Okay, so the so the key word uh, that everybody must remember is ecosystem, and an ecosystem is a real thing in nature. We'll talk about that again. So uh, I think that that probably brings us to the end of the of the formal discussion. But before we drop off, I would like to ask you guys: um, the theory sounds fantastic. Uh, where have you implemented this, and, and and have you seen real benefit? We talked about the percentages earlier. Maybe back to you, Ari. And maybe a, a reference or two uh, of, of places where this really worked and made a difference. MP, yes, we see phenomenal results. And between myself and Kali, we've been working together for the past almost 20 years. And s several examples come to mind. The one particular shaft, and I think I can I can name it because this was along quite a, quite some time ago, it was Goldfields' number seven shaft in Kloof Mine. It was about to be closed. Uh, it was reaching the, the, the end of its economical life. Performance was not good. It wasn't making money. They were producing way below budget. And then we were asked to intervene. And we did the leadership and the operational implementation almost in parallel. And we identified the bottlenecks. We made some serious changes to the whole way that we manage the shaft, put in buffer management, put in the daily ops room, and we did leadership interventions off-site, on-site, uh, creating provoking experiences so that people can create new mindsets, new mental frames. Yeah. We facilitated dialogue where people sat together and really spoke, talked about the problems of the business. Now, that particular shaft, after about three months, they became cash positive. And then they, they improved further to become the best performer in gold fields. And they maintained that position for almost two years. I think that was a remarkable improvement. We saw similar results in Lonman. We've seen similar results in, uh, in some of the coal mining operations. So we've got lots of examples of this, but we see this kind of improvement every single time. And as yeah. long as we can get the leadership aligned and the right focus, the results will be there. Ari, uh, Jürgens Fisser, which was then, I think, the COO of the business who works for us now, says that he absolutely believes in theory of constraints and uh, Eli Goldratt's book is you know, very close at hand to him always. So you must have met him and worked with him during those times. Yes, he, we, we met and we worked together and we saw some phenomenal results at the time. Excellent. Let's get this to a close. Ari, we always ask people what is on their bedside table. John, I, I read a lot. I, I pride myself that I read a number of books every year, mostly business and leadership. 
because it fascinates me, but also some spiritual reading. On, on my list right at the moment is a book called Complexity by Waldrop that explains the whole approach to complex environments. I'm also rereading Team of Teams. I think that's a phenomenal book about leadership on how the American war machine had to reinvent itself during a war wow. and how it was done. It was, was, it's written by General Stanley McChrystal. And then I've gone back into my bookshelf and I dug out a book that I think is the best book on leadership that I've ever read. And it's called One From Many. It's written by a guy called D. Hawk. And it's the story of how the Visa credit card business started and how he had to fight the banking system. But interwoven in the story of the Visa credit cards, they present the leadership philosophies of D. Hawk. And I think this is just phenomenal. I've learned so much from that book, you can't believe it. Amazing. And then the last one that I'm also going to read again this year is a book called Presence by Peter Senge and a few other authors. It's a kind of a follow-on to the fifth discipline, which introduced okay. the learning organization. So that's that's my reading list for the coming holidays. Well, Ari, uh, I have uh, downloaded and started dabbling with a team of teams and about a week ago, I got my teeth into it and I can't put it down. So uh, I know exactly what you mean. That's a phenomenal book. So Kali, coming to you, uh, what's, uh, and we'll end with this, what's on your bedside table? <laughs> so no, no lying, no cheating. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if you don't say so, team of teams, so, you're disqualified. You know? <laughs> so, so Ari is a great reader and he stimulates me more than anybody else on planet Earth uh, to read. So I often follow, uh, you know, what, what he is busy with, and we've been doing this for many years. But to be quite honest and frank with you, right now on my bedside table is a magazine on motorcycles. <laughs> and, and the reason why it's there uh, is, you know, I started off as a young student on a motor guzzy, and then uh, we went to the Hondas, and uh, then it was the Gold Wing, and me and my wife all got traveled all over the country with that motorcycle and since then I've been longing you know to just see if I can try and open that door and so now there's, there's the magazine it's just lying there I, I look at the pictures uh, it's teasing me uh, but I'm thinking it's going nowhere it's going nowhere so I'll, I'll most probably pick up another book uh, on on business and leadership uh, going forward excellent my, my woodwork teacher in, in grade, what is it now? Grade eight, he had a motor guzzy and he always used to say, a motor guzzy is a real mechanic's bike. <laughs> you got to always fix it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ari and Kali. It was delightful to talk to you again. And I really think we have to follow this up. We've only scratched the surface of the theory of constraints, mental frame, and changing businesses. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you to our audience, let us know what you think, and also do reach out to Adrian Valley.